All right. Good morning. Welcome. You guys are charged up, fired up. That. That. Uh, all right. The youth should be fired up, man. They had an awesome weekend in Orlando. So, no, we were, uh, Dana and I were there on Friday night, and uh, it, was, it was a really powerful night, a really powerful experience, and so um, I'm, I'm hoping that they're not just fired up, but they actually encounter Jesus and are going to be different, right? And last week, our 80th anniversary, wasn't it an amazing Sunday? Now, to be honest with you, I, I really hope that Jesus returns and we don't have to have a 180th anniversary or even an 85th anniversary, you know, I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. But uh, man, do you realize that the end of the year is speeding up on us super quickly? The Christmas tree is evidence that the end of the year is flying up on us and we're speeding towards 2018. How many of you are ready for 2018? Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, but between now and then, we've got a rush, don't we? Life is in a rush. We've got Thanksgiving coming up where we're going to be cooking turkeys and having people over and celebrating and being thankful. And then between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we've got the, the Christmas rush where we're going to be buying gifts and buying food and going to parties and baking cookies. And here's the deal. That's my favorite part of Christmas. So if you're baking cookies, you can hook me up, all right? I'm just saying, you can hook me up with whatever, just don't make gross cookies and give them to me, okay? Make good cookies. But uh, I love cookies. It's my favorite time of the year for cookies at Christmas time. For some of you, though, this time of the year is not as awesome as it is for other people. You see, some people this time of the year is challenging. It's maybe because they don't have the financial resources that others have. And so the thought of having to go out and purchase gifts for their family and their friends is something that overwhelms them. Maybe even the thought of going out and buying a meal to feed several people at their house is even a financial challenge. And so when this time of the year approaches, they kind of sit back and go, dang it, I hate when this time of the year comes. For others... They've burned bridges with their families and with their friends, and so when this time of the year comes and everybody's getting together and celebrating, actually what's going on with them is they're spending their time alone in their house, and they don't look forward to this time of year. For others, Christmas marks the time of a year where they lost a loved one. And so the only thing that they can think about is this person that they're missing, and when things occur in people's lives like that, when they're standing there facing challenges like that, they come to a moment in their life. And for this, for this message, I'm going to define this moment as a pivotal moment. People reach pivotal moments in their life at Christmas time and around the holidays. It's just something that's happened, and it's a story that's happened in my life. And I know I've shared this story recently, but I'm going to share it again because it's the best story I got for a pivotal moment at Christmas time. But I told you, I think a couple of months ago, maybe it was a few weeks ago, of, of something that happened to me at Christmas time. It was before I was a Christian, and I was in my early 20s, and I was, had moved out of my house, and I was living with friends of mine from high school in an apartment. And, and Christmas had come, and my mom had called 
and usually at our house, we had a big Christmas celebration. We would have, you know, 50 people at my parents' house. They had a basement, they had a big family room, and then they had a living room, dining room combo, and it was filled with people. You know, the house was just packed with people. And so it was a big event, it was a big thing, and so, and so my mom called me just to remind me that it was that time of the year that we were having Christmas at her house again and having all of the family over. And so, of course, I made and I planned my life to go to this event, to be there with them. However, I got a phone call a couple of days before Christmas. It was a friend of mine, a guy that I had worked with, a guy that I partied a lot with, and he had burned all of his bridges in his family and with his friends, okay? He had no place to go on Christmas, and so he was, gonna plan, he was planning on staying at home, drinking and smoking weed, and hanging out at his house by himself at Christmas. And so he calls me and he says, hey, you want to join me? Well, because of where I was at in my life, that actually sounded better than spending the time at my house with my family and 50 other people. So what I did was I went to my parents' house, I hung out there a little bit, ate a little bit of food, and then I bounced. I was out of there. I went to my friend's house, and I spent Christmas Day, him and I, sitting there, smoking weed and drinking Christmas Day. Okay? That was my day. And you know what? When you get to a place in your life where that is your Christmas day, generally it should lead to thoughts in your mind. See, for me, it led to a thought of, what on earth am I doing? No rational, sane person would choose sitting in an apartment with a friend doing that with all of the lights off, listening to Metallica or whatever we were listening to, and just hanging out. And so it dawned on me in that moment. I had a pivotal moment in my life. And that's not the only pivotal moment that has happened at that time of the year. i got to tell you that there's been good things that have happened as pivotal moments at this time of the year as well. I mean, my call from God to come to Fam Church as the pastor happened at this time of the year. It was December of 2014. And uh, I was, we were at Ocala first, and I was the youth pastor there, and, and uh, I had heard that Fam Church was looking for a pastor, but I did not intend on sending my resume. I did not intend on coming here, because I didn't even consider it a place to go. I didn't consider this to be the place where God was going to lead me, where he was going to have a future, but you know what happened? God spoke clearly one day to me. And I could bring you to the spot in Ocala where it happened. I was out on one of my runs. We had, I had this, this, this route around my neighborhood that was 6.2 miles exactly. And it was by this telephone pole that had the number, uh, that has the same number as the street address of this church, 1400. And as I was running, God spoke to me when I hit that pole. And I had no idea that that number was the same number as the address of the church, Okay. And then God told me, he said, look, on Martin Luther King weekend, they're going to call you, the pulpit committee is going to call you, and on Martin Luther King weekend, you're going to be down there interviewing at the church. And so that happened. Like literally, three weeks later, I got a call from Barb Rose, and she, she said, can you come down on the Sunday of Martin Luther King weekend to interview with the pulpit committee? That was a pivotal moment in my life. It was a point in time where God had spoken and pivoted me, changed direction in my life, and put me in a new direction. 
And here's the feeling that I got. My gut tells me that there are quite a few people, maybe even in this room this morning, that as you are facing the holidays, as you are looking at Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year, there's going to be, or there already is, a face, you're facing a pivotal moment in your life. Maybe God is challenging you to quit holding on to something that you've been holding on to for years and to lay that thing down and to walk in a different direction. Maybe it's God speaking to you about you need to completely and totally change everything about who you are because he wants to do something in your life. Whatever it is, can I say, or God may be saying to you, now is the time for that change. And so this morning we're going to be in the book of Genesis and we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob when he hit a pivotal moment in his life. We're going to be in chapter 32 and we're going to be reading verses 22 through 32. The ironic thing was when we got to uh, Fusion on Friday night, Pastor Pito's dad gets up there to preach and uh, he says, can everybody turn to Genesis 32? And I'm like, are you kidding me? So he like spoke on this same text. He, did, he had a different angle to it though. So our messages are completely different. But, but yeah, it was just so funny that he spoke on that at Fusion this weekend as well. So let's look at this. So, So what we got here when we're in this text is we find Jacob on his way home. Okay, he had been, he had left his house, he had left his family, he had left his parents, and he had been gone from home for 20 years. But now, and the reason that he left home was because he had to run because of a decision that he had made, and this decision left him in fear of his life. What did he do that, he had le- that had left him in fear of his life? You see, um, what he had done was he had stolen something, as, something important and valuable from his brother. You see, back then they had this ceremony, this, this, this thing that they would do was the oldest son, they would, the father, as he was about to pass away, he would bring the oldest son in and he would pray a blessing over the oldest son. But this blessing wasn't just him coming and praying for him because how many of us have sneezed and someone said, God bless you? Okay? Yeah, I think we've all been there. Has that done anything for your life ever? No, it's never done anything for you, right? It's just actually something to say, right? Half the time it just feels like something to say to somebody when they sneeze because we don't know what to say. Ooh, that's gross. Why are you throwing germs in the air? You know, those kind of things. You know, so we say God bless you. Maybe it's like, maybe God will put a shield around me so I don't get what they got. I don't know. But anyway, um, <laughs> Michelle, you're enjoying my message this morning. You got lots of comments on it. All right, but... Uh, so, so he was going in for the blessing, but the blessing came with something, okay? The blessing came with extra inheritance. You see, back then, the fathers would give the oldest son mo- twice as much as everyone else got in the inheritance. And so if there was two kids like there was in this house with Jacob and, uh, and, and Esau, which was the two brothers, the oldest brother would get two-thirds of the, the father's money, land, livestock, and overall wealth, and the other son would get one-third. And so, if you know what happened here, Jacob, in stealing this blessing and in stealing this birthright and in stealing this two-thirds to one-third, he actually stole a considerable chunk of money from his brother. How many of you have brothers and or sisters in this room? Who's got them? Okay, so your brother or sister comes and they decide that they're going to steal a third of, let's say, let's say you're going to get, uh, uh, they stole $100,000 from you. Is that, is that something you're excited about? Is that something you're happy about? Is that something you'd celebrate if your brother or sister did to you? 
Anyone celebrating? Anyone thinking that's okay? All right, Phoenix, if you need to steal from somebody, Phoenix is your guy because he'll be okay with it. But here's the deal. Jacob stole one-third of something that he wasn't supposed to get from his brother. So his brother, of course, is angry, like any of us would be. I mean, seriously, if I had a large chunk of money stolen by my brother or sister, I would be angry, angry enough to kill them, okay? And that's how angry Jacob's brother Esau was. He was ticked off, and he wanted to kill his brother. Of course, his parents, because they had given the blessing to Jacob, didn't want the brother to die, and so they send him off to live with their family over 900 miles away. And uh, he's on his way back to his hometown over 20 years later when we get into our text this morning in, Je- in Genesis chapter 32. And so we're going to read Genesis 32, 22 through 32. Uh, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so open your Bible and there it is. If you're not familiar and not able to find it, it should be on the screen behind me. Um, and this is what it says. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two fem- female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, a man, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. All right, so Jacob arrives at this brook. He's getting ready to head back home, and all sorts of things are running through Jacob's mind at this point in time. First, he's fearful, okay? He's afraid of what his brother might do to him, because if we were to look a little bit further, a little bit back in chapter 32, what we saw Jacob's brother Esau do was he heard his brother was coming, and so he gathered a small army of 400 men to go after his brother. That's a reason to be scared, right? If suddenly you hear your brother who you think wants you dead has gathered 400 men together and is coming after you. I mean, I think most of us would be fearful in that spot. And so here he is fearful. And so he starts to make sort of weird decisions. He decides, well, maybe if I send my brother gifts, this is going to make him happy. This is going to appease him. This is going to please him. And so Jacob starts sending flocks ahead and giving them to his brother. Flocks after flocks after flocks. He's just saying, take these, take these, take these, giving them to his brother. As a matter of fact, at one point, he even tells his wife and children to go out ahead of him and kind of uses his wife and kids as a human shield against his brother who's coming towards him. And so this is where he's at. He was afraid and he thought that by sending gifts on ahead, it would pacify his brother's anger. And see, for some of us in life, this is where we are at with God and we look at God the exact same way. We are in this pivotal moment in our life, and, if, and we think that if we somehow can, um, if the situation doesn't change, something's going something's gonna to happen. And so to make the situation change, we think that we have to take gifts and give them to God and make him happy so he won't kill us. 
I've had many people tell me that they can't walk inside the doors of a church because if they did, the place would be hit by lightning because God doesn't want them there. But that's not how God is. You see, God is gracious, he is loving, and he does not try to exact revenge on us for living a life far from him. And so some of you may be thinking, well, explain hell to me then. I mean, how does hell fit in all this? That sure sounds like revenge, fire, and and all of this destruction, and come on, man, that's revenge. No. Here's what hell is. Hell, it's painted as a picture of a lake of fire, but it's the total and complete absence of the presence of God. I want you to try and picture a place with the total and complete absence of the presence of God. It's going to be hell. It's going to be terrible. Because what's keeping our planet from destroying itself is because the presence of God is here. What's keeping sin in check, even though it doesn't look like it's in check, is the presence of God here. If the presence of God were to withdraw from this planet, it would be a living nightmare. And so when people end up in hell, what God is actually doing is he's saying, look, You have chose to live your whole life separated from my presence. You've decided to live your life not having anything to do with me. And so because that's what you want, I'm going to give you that for all eternity. It's not a punishment. It's God giving us what we decided to choose. And we get frustrated with God when he gives us what we decided to choose when what we chose sucks. But unfortunately... God doesn't say, oh, you didn't like that? Well, I'll fix it for you. We make choices. God lets us live in our decisions. And that's what hell is. It's the absence of the presence of God, and that's what makes it so painful, so horrible, and such a bad place to be at. But you know what? It's not just people who are far from God who have this thought that think God is waiting there to slap them around. People who follow Jesus think the exact same thing. There are many who follow Jesus that think God is just sitting there waiting almost excitedly to, when you screw up, man, when can they screw up? When are they going to screw up? Because I need to slap somebody, okay? That's the picture in our minds that we paint of God, even as followers of Jesus. But that's not how he works. That's not a loving heavenly father. God's not hoping that you sin so that he can take you down a notch or two. See, so much of my life has been lived in sin, both before Christ and after I started following Christ. I mean, when I first got into ministry 17 years ago, I had only been a Christian like five or six years Okay, and so my life was not holy. I mean, if you were to put me on a holiness scale and look at it and say, when have you lived the holiest? I hate using that word because it just, it has so much baggage to it. But if I were to look at my life right now, it would be the point in my life where I would say, I have been living the best for God. And hopefully that's the same story for everyone. You know, the longer you walk with Jesus, the better you're doing in your walk with God. But... If you were to measure it based on fruit, if you were to look at me when I first got into youth ministry, man, there was so much fruitful youth ministry. I mean, God just did incredible things. And if you look at where we're at now, it's just, it doesn't look the same. 
And so you would make you conclude that maybe something is wrong with my life because I'm not seeing the same type of fruit. God's not blessing. God's hand's not upon me like it was 15 years ago when I was working with teenagers. But that's not the case. That's not the case. My life was a life where I would fall, but I would get back up. See, I would fall, and I would get back up. I would fall and I would get back up. God never brought the hammer down on me. He was loving me. He was anointing me in all of that sin and using me to reach teens because he was trying to communicate to me that he had a plan and a purpose and he loved me and he cared for me. He doesn't say that as long as you're living as holy as you possibly can, then I will bless you. Now it does help in living right before God. But God wants us more in a place where we're moving forward continually. Moving forward continually, regardless of how that looks. Even if we're moving forward just a quarter of an inch, we're moving forward. And that's what God wants from us. So what do I mean by moving forward? Uh, It's what Jacob did in the events that we're looking at this morning. Even though he was in a spot where he was afraid of moving forward, where moving forward was hard and where moving forward could cost him, even possibly his life, he did everything in his power to continue to move to the place that God wanted him. You see, God had spoken to him, and, uh, and he needed to get back home. God had spoken to him and told him that he needed to meet his brother. God had spoken to him and told him he needed to continue to become the man that God knew he was inside. And so he pushed forward. He pushed forward. God challenged him to move forward. Even though it seemed like nothing had changed in Jacob's life, he was still pushing forward. Uh, He was still the same person he was before he had left home 20 years ago. And so you're saying, well, who was Jacob? Well, yes, he tricked his brother out of his birthright. A lot of money, we know that. He had to flee his house, but then he goes and he tricks his father-in-law out of livestock when he gets to his new home, steals money from his father-in-law, and because he does that, once again, he fears for his his life and has to run from his father-in-law. Okay, because he's afraid his father-in-law is going to kill him. So his life was a life full of tricking people, scheming people, stealing from people, and conniving to get what he wanted, which of course led to attempts on his life. So Jacob's life was marked by sin. But even though he was struggling in his sin, Jacob kept moving forward and kept pursuing God. See, so many followers of Christ get tangled up in sin and allow it to keep them in a place and hold them hostage. But that's not what God wants from your life. You see, how we have victory over sin in our lives is to continue and keep moving forward, pushing ahead. No matter how hard it hits us, no matter how hard we go down, God is calling us to stand up and keep moving forward. Even if as soon as we stand up, we're back down again. Stand up, back down again. God says, keep standing up, keep pushing forward, keep moving ahead. See, too many believers, what happens is they get knocked down, they hit the floor, and they stay here for a while. I'm just going to chill here because it hurts too much to get back up. Well, when you do that, you're missing out on what God has for you. Because then when you get down there, you start to think you're trapped. You start to think there's nothing that you can do, that God is not helping you, that there's nothing that can make your situation better. But it's simply not true. We are only trapped when we say to ourselves, I can't get back up. You're a child of God. You've been freed and delivered, and because of that, you can get up 
and you can keep moving forward to where God wants you. Because God doesn't call you by that name. God doesn't call you by your sin. He calls you by a different name. Your name is redeemed. Your name is freed. Your name is victorious. And see, this is a key point in our text because you see in this pivotal moment, Jacob was holding on to something that defined him, and that was his name, Jacob. The name Jacob means supplanter. It's someone who wrongfully takes the place of another. See, Jacob was wearing his sin. Jacob was defined by his sin as his name. And because it was his name, everywhere he went, everybody knew his sin. Imagine living your life like that, where wherever you went, everybody knew your sin because that's what you were called by. But in this pivotal moment, God said it was time for this to end. It was time for Jacob to change his identity for the sin in his life to a new name. A name given by the God who loves him, cares for him, and has great things in store for him. See, God said, listen, I created you to be Israel, not Jacob. Israel means may God prevail, God preserves, God contends, and struggles with God. This is powerful. Because God is telling Jacob that God contends for him. That God will prevail with him. That God will preserve him as long as he continues to get up and to fight the battle and to move forward. Listen, fam church, God will prevail with you. God will preserve you. God will contend with you as long as you continue to get up off the floor and allow that new name to define you instead of that old name and that sin that have been so tangling up your life. Quit letting the sin, quit letting those other things define you and let God define you. Can I tell you, though, that fighting through pivotal moments is not going to come without pain and a cost? The text tells us Jacob ended up in a wrestling match with the angel that was sent to him. That fight went all night, and he was left with a limp. Think about that. God shows up to bless you, to give you a new name, to free you from the sin that defines you, and you fight with God about it all night long. That seems crazy, right? But if we were to look at our lives and be real honest, that's who all of us are. We do the exact same thing that Jacob does. How many times has God spoken to you? How many times has God said something to you, so instead of getting up and going and doing what God says to you, you sit there and you say, but God... You wrestle with him because you don't want that change to come in your life. For his whole life, Jacob had been a supplanter. It's how he handled his family affairs, his business affairs, and his friendships. It's the only way that he knew how to function and live life. But then God steps into the picture and wants to change that. And when God steps in and wants to change something, most of us usually step back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. 
hold on, yeah, that means change, right? I don't like change. And so, God, I'm just going to stay right here and kind of chill right here. We fight against God when he calls us to do things different. And it's simply because we don't like or we don't want change. Eden and Isaac, if you guys could come back up. See, not only does change hurt, but in fighting through change, in these pivotal moments, we're going to be left with wounds. We're going to be left with a limp, but the limp serves a purpose. Genesis tells us that after the angel touched his hip, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Why would that be a good thing? What would be the purpose in that? Well, there's a couple of purposes in that. But for the purpose of our message today, God did this to remind Israel of who he was so that he never forgot what God did in his life and where he came from. God wanted him to remember that he was a supplanter, but that no longer defined who he was. He's different. He's changed. God wanted to take the story God wanted to take Jacob's story of becoming Israel and use it for God's glory. And see, in each of our lives in this room, we have a story. We have a story of God wounding us, of God hurting us, of something happening where we had to wrestle with God. But see, each one of those stories and each wound that's left behind because of it can be used to show other people how great and awesome God is. See, if you're left with a limp because of an addiction in your life, God can use that to communicate to others how he can set them free. If you're left with a limp in your life because Previously, before you followed Christ, you had all sorts of other struggles. You were tangled in all sorts of sin. God will use that to show other people who have that same thing going on in their life that he can do something different in them. God wants to take the pain, the limp that he gives you to use it for his glory and his testimony. But if we don't allow God to change us, if we step back and we say, God, no thanks, we're never going to see our story used for his kingdom and his glory. God's done this to me. He's taken pivotal moments in my life and has used them to minister on occasion after occasion. And so in closing this morning, where are you at today? Some of you this morning are at a pivotal moment in your life and you're far from God. You're kind of out there. He's not on your radar. You can kind of maybe see him out of the corner of your eye, but you do what you can to keep him at a distance. You know he's calling. You know he's speaking. You know he's saying it's time to do something different, something better, but you don't want to give up your current life. God's not going to keep you in this pivotal moment forever. He wants to do something new in your life. He wants to give you a new name, but you have to be willing to take on that new name. Right now, your name may be addict, whether it's alcohol or porn or drugs. Your name may be thief. Your name may be gossip. Your name may be adulterer. Your name may be good person. 
Your name may be wonderful family guy or family girl, or your name may be successful businessman. None of those names are going to lead you to God and the name that he has for you. God wants to give you a new name. He wants to call you redeemed. He wants to call you son or daughter. He wants to call you free, victorious, holy, pure, and loved. That can only happen if you allow God to come in and give you a new name. Others in here, you're followers of Christ, but you're also at a pivotal moment in your life. You've been battling with sin, but instead of getting up off the ground when it knocks you down, you're allowing it to keep you there and hold you down and not push forward and not get up and, not, and you're letting that sin define your life. If that's who you are today, God is saying, it's time to get up. It's time to get up off the mat. It's time to get off, up off the floor and stop allowing that to define who you are. Stand up and let the names that Satan and sin are throwing on, on top of you be cast away and let the name that God calls you by be your name once again. And so we're just going to take a couple of minutes to respond. The front of the room is going to be open. I'll be up here to pray. Eden's just going to lead us in a song, but if either one of those are you, don't leave this pivotal moment, but let God do something in your life.